Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 271, Milwaukee Mafia and the Ghosts of Brady Street. I am joined today by my lovely haunted historian sister, Allison Jornlin. Hi, everybody, and happy Halloween. And we are joined by Milwaukee and Wisconsin criminal historian, Gavin Schmidt, author of eight books with titles that I absolutely love. Uh, Milwaukee Mafia, I've read that one, it's really good. Fox City's Murder and Mayhem. Murder Capital, about Madison, Wisconsin, uh, which is at one point the deadliest city in the United States, and I can't wait to talk about that at some time. And also, my favorite of his uh, book titles, The Shallow Grave. Thank you, Gavin, for joining us today on this Halloween day, 2019. Yeah, thank you for having me, and I'm glad that we're here on Halloween. It's very special to me, so (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. It is the high holidays for us in, in the weird world. So Allison and I have told people many times about like our weird history and how we got interested in it. But mm-hmm. how did you get interested in true crime and uh, maybe even ghost stories? Oof. Wow. You know, that's the big question, isn't it? Uh, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. Um, I've always been drawn to darker themes. Uh, I love horror movies. Um, I love true crime. Um, I went through a phase where I was really interested, not in a bad way, but really interested in like the Nazis, that kind of thing. Anytime where there's something that's dark or evil, just it has this attraction, you know, and I I think that's true for everybody, but not everybody wants to admit it. Uh, So, yeah, I've just kind of embraced it. And and because I, I love local history and there's so many great stories right here in Wisconsin that need to be told, it's it's worked out well for me that, you know, if no one else is going to do it, I may as well. All right. Yeah, and I love that you're doing that too because I mean there's there's such a a lack of focus on Wisconsin history. I mean there's so many incredible stories and and that's what what gives uh Mike and I um the opportunity to uh expand and do all these ghost walks we do because I mean what we cover is haunted history. So I mean there's a lot of mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. in that. I mean I think that's ninety percent history, maybe ten percent ghosts. <laughs> well I, I tell you um Today, we will be focusing on the, uh, you know, we're just a neighbor of Chicago. When people think about the mafia, the first place they always right. think about is Chicago because they think about Al Capone. And, um, yeah, Chicago, that old glory hog. Right, they're taking all the glory. But the funny thing is, almost any place that you go to in Wisconsin, especially up north, any bar mm-hmm. is like, well, this was a hideout for Al Capone back in the day. And, you know, you'll always see every place because Al Capone did come. I mean, it's been forever that Chicago people vacation up north in Wisconsin and they, they mm-hmm. come up for vacation. And so they always like, this is where the mobsters hang out. And I think if, uh, you know, I don't know how Al Capone had any time to do any crime because he was too busy <laughs> hanging out in all these bars up north. Yeah. Oh, and everywhere. I mean, in Milwaukee, they talk about that too. You know, that, oh, 
every place. You know, it's it's just like if I had a dime for every uh, haunted place that was once a brothel and frequented by Al Capone, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would I would have a mountain, uh, a Mount Everest. Well, what I think is interesting, like all of these, every place was a brothel too. It's like mm-hmm. how did you, how did anybody find any girls who weren't hookers to get married to? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh. And okay, so so Gavin, uh, yeah. speaking of, uh, how is the Milwaukee mafia that maybe we don't know as much about related to the Chicago mafia, which we've been, you know, we all know at least some of their stories and some of the famous gangsters' names. Sure. Oh boy, you know that's a. How do I sum that up? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have thirty seconds. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 take all the so time you need. Originally. There were a number of gangs in Chicago. There was Al Capone led just one of a dozen different gangs. And one of those gangs was a Sicilian gang, which was a rival of Al Capone. Al Capone was not Sicilian. The Sicilian gang was actual mafia, and they were uh, in league with Milwaukee and other cities. Um, Capone would have been a rival to Milwaukee originally. Now it was so it wasn't until much later that Milwaukee and Chicago were more friendly with each other. When when everybody kind of settled down and was like, well, maybe if we stop killing each other and work together, things will work out better. But yeah, the, the funny thing about that is, is originally they they weren't really connected. They were on the opposite sides of the you know the prohibition era battles that sort of thing. So yeah, it's not till much later. Okay, and um, so what were some of the names or families of these, you know, these Milwaukee mafia people? Because we're familiar with Frank Nitti, Al Capone. I mean, everybody who is on the Untouchables or whatever. Who would have been, you know, who would have Elliot Ness been hunting down if he'd have just gone over the border? Sure. So the the earliest days in Milwaukee, the early early nineteen hundreds, uh, the boss was named Vito Guardalabene. Um, which is a great name. Yeah, I was gonna say Don Vito Guadalabene. Yeah. Um, after after him, the boss was actually his son, uh, whose name was Giovanni Battista, but he went by Pete of all things. All right. Oh come on! I I would totally. If I my mean, name was Pete, I'd go by Giovanni go with, Battista. Yeah. I know, yeah. right? So Guadalabene early on, uh, but some of the bigger names in Milwaukee. I mean. Uh, Balistrieri, if you know any name, it's Balistrieri. Um, the Maniachis were pretty big. Um, Labrizis. Uh, there's, if, if you, if you were from Milwaukee and you were Sicilian, uh, I don't mean to stereotype or generalize, but you probably had a cousin or a grandfather or somebody who knew something like it's, it's not that large of a community, like at its peak, it was it was three thousand people, so the mob, you know, say there were a hundred of those three thousand in the mob, or at least connected to the mob. You're gonna know somebody. Yeah, and I had no idea. You know, when I'm walking around, I'm just trying to find ghost stories, and I had no idea that Milwaukee was so mobbed mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. Uh, and, until until. Um, you know, maybe I I cross some people that I shouldn't have. I, I don't know. I I um uh way back like almost ten years ago, I I was uh, working on a a haunted history tour for the Italian Community okay. Center, 
And so, of course, uh, uh, for MilwaukeeGhosts.com, we have our third ward, our, our uh, bloody our bloody third tour that um, covers the third ward of the city, which you know was Milwaukee's little Italy for a while. So I had a lot of stories from there, but um, I wanted to do some stories. It was a bus tour, so I wanted to do some stories on Brady Street, and so I went up and down Brady Street one summer day. And, you know, I, I went to Scafidi's and they're like, oh, you know who you have to talk to? You got to go and talk to Paul Bruno. You got to go to Bruno's. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So we went down to Bruno's and um, I was a little bit surprised by the reaction. Let me just tell you that. So I went in and and I just I just told you, I just told Paul Bruno, just what I'm telling you, that I was like, hey. I am organizing this tour for the Italian Community Center for Halloween. And he said, Allison, I like your smile. <laughs> but then he shouted at me. He, he screamed. Like, he, he went from, Allison, I like your, your smile. But snitches end up in ditches. <laughs> and, then he, and then he went, leave it alone. Leave it alone. He's screaming in my face. And then he walks into the back room and says, I got business to conduct here. And I'm like shaking um, because, you know, I didn't want to know where the bodies are buried. I didn't even know what was going on. I just wanted like some nice story that maybe his Italian grandmother Mm -hmm. told him. And suddenly he just went off. I mean, like out of nowhere. And there was this huge guy at the bar, like he looked like some kind of enforcer, mm-hmm. okay? He had like huge muscles and he's sitting at the bar and he looked scared. <laughs> <laughs> After that happened, I he was, I just looked at him, he looked at me and I just like left. And then I called Mike right away and I'm like, bro, it's all right. Real. The bu- this place is mobbed up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like I'm watching my back. And uh, yeah, so that's my, my story of just like about 10 years ago. Uh, and I was like, what just happened? Were there yeah. any particular um, like mob stories around B- Brady Street or businesses or crimes that might have happened in the area um, that would have led a business owner to say like, "Hey, leave leave it alone." I'm mm-hmm. a, right. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just you know wondering if there's any uh, crime history in that particular area. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, two things immediately come to mind. Uh, one, there's a very well-known bakery on that street. And in the 1960s, they actually got bombed. So uh, so that's great. But then um, you, had, you had mentioned it in your intro, or, or maybe it was even before we started recording, I don't know, but about Max Adonis. I mean, that's right down on the end of the street, the corner of Brady and Van Buren, where, where he was killed. So yeah, no, there's definitely some Brady stories for sure. Yeah, maybe... Let's talk about Max yeah. because I mean that that story has so many interesting twists and turns and Max Adonis I mean that's not even his real name. No, it's not. Was he like a professional wrestler so, or something? No, 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 no. <laughs> you you want me want me to go through so, the Max story? I can tell the oh, Max yeah. story. Yeah, go go through the Max story. Okay, so uh so max adonis uh he starts out life as max kajuski he's polish he's not even italian at all and i feel you brother as as the story goes uh he always sort of wanted to be a gangster 
Um, but you know, for ethnic reasons, he couldn't. So he, he started. Yeah, calling, he's a yeah, so he started boy. calling himself Max Adonis, thinking that sounded more Italian, which it really doesn't. But that's you know, he thought it did. Um, but it worked. I mean, he got he got himself mixed in with. Uh, some of the questionable people and he ends up being kind of like the strong arm man. Uh, there's, there's a story where Sally Papia, a well-known restaurant owner in Milwaukee, um, her house gets burglarized um, and some jewelry is taken. So she hires Max to track down the burglars and get her jewelry back. I have no idea how the underworld works, but Apparently, there's an underworld network because a few days later, he's able to find out who the burglars were. He does find the jewelry and he gets it back. And so he he beats up one of the guys who ended up purchasing the jewelry. This guy is a is a dentist. He's he is not a mob guy at all. He just wanted to buy some cheap you know jewelry. And the dentist goes to the police and says, "I got tied up and beaten." And the police are like, well, do you know who did it? And he says, well, I don't know his name, but I can describe him. And he's really easy to describe. Yeah. Here's the twist in the story. Right. Here's the twist in the story. For those who don't know, Max Adonis only had one arm. He, he lost one of his arms early in life working in a bread factory. His arm got caught in a machine and he lost one of his arms. Oh, God. So when you say you got beat up by a large guy with one arm, the police have a very short list of suspects that they, that they talk to. Uh, so he also did. Yeah, this is just like the fugitive. It's the yeah, one man. He did. He did arson for hire. Um, he did some other things. He was he was never a big guy in his own right, but he would always kind of do the dirty work for other people. Um, but yeah, later on, he ends up getting mixed up in narcotics, and that's sort of what does him in in the end. Um, he's working as the maitre d at Giovanni's, which is the corner of Van Buren and Brady. Um, if, and by anybody who's who's talked, I never met him. But anybody who's talked about it says he's a, he was a very sweet guy. But oh, yeah. you know he was he was mi- he was mixed up in drugs, which is you know dangerous in itself. And yeah, and one morning he goes, he unlocks the restaurant. Two guys come in, force him to kneel, shoot him in the back of the head, and that's that's the end of Max Adonis. And uh, as the story goes, two guys not long after that, matching the description, end up being found in the basement of a house on the south side of Milwaukee. And we don't know, like it's, we can't confirm that those were the same two guys, but the police were kind of satisfied that, yeah, those were probably the same two guys. We're not going to investigate this too far. They took care of this problem on their own. So, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, that's the Max Adonis story. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of strange little twists and turns in there because he's just such a colorful character, but oh my goodness, you know. How you, how you get away with being a criminal when you're that identifiable? I don't know, but and what makes you decide you want to be a uh, uh, a criminal or, or get involved in that as a like a tough guy kind of thing when mm-hmm. you only have one arm? I guess one arm is all you need to uh, like shoot a gun. Sure, but if you're beating somebody up and tying them up, how do you tie them up with one arm? Well, you, you, sure. I mean, he he had another he had another guy with him, but yeah, yeah. You got like use your teeth. <laughs> He was multi-talented, and um, he was a big guy. He was too. a very big guy. Um, yeah, was was he like two hundred or three hundred pounds or something? Uh, well, I, I didn't weigh him, but yeah, but but based <laughs> based on like the the mugshot lineup photos, yeah, I mean he's a he's a heavier guy, yeah. Okay, so we'll go two fifty. Sure, How about that. Sure, <laughs> just right in between. 
So, Allison, when you were researching, um, like, ghost stories of Brady Street, um, has anybody seen a one-armed ghost up and down Brady Street? Sadly, not that I've heard yet. But, you know, I'm putting the call out there now. You know, if you if you all of a sudden saw this big, kind of a short guy, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Uh, this big, stocky guy with one arm. Uh, and, you know, he disappeared into a wall or something. Please let me know. <laughs> And especially uh, around that end of the street where Giovanni's used to be. And it's just a strip right, mall right, right now, um, sadly. But, you know, I, I haven't heard of any activity uh, in the strip mall um, at this point. Uh, I don't know if, like, just that just that um, horrible uh, power of consumerism just, like, scares all the ghosts <laughs> to hell or something like that. But uh, it may. Uh Anyway, but hey, if anybody has a story um, of a, a one-armed ghost, it's probably Max Adonis. Mm-hmm. But I do want to share that um, uh, Sally Papia, is that how you say it? Or did you say? I, I, I say Papia. Papia, you know, okay. I, I, got, I have to be honest. I, I, I'm pretty sure it's Papia. No one's corrected me on it. Oh, but, yeah. I, but, sometimes, but sometimes my pronunciations are not great. Right, and mine either. Uh, especially when you just read someone's name. So let's just say right, Sally. Right. I know how to pronounce that. So Sally sure. owned a a very well respected restaurant um, down um, in more of the Yankee Hill area. But I mean that's mm-hmm. not far off of Brady Street. We're just talking a few blocks. And mm-hmm. so her restaurant was in the Knickerbocker Hotel. Um, which actually has a lot of ghost stories. Now, we don't get to tell them on the Brady Street tour, but I'm also working on um, a a tour for Juno that will talk about uh, the Knickerbocker Hotel. So there are ghost stories there. Um, And then also... Well, let's start... Why don't we start with a ghost story there and see if we can connect it to this Sally Papitas character. Yeah. Okay, well, um, so the stories there, though, might have to do with uh, a murder that that actually took place um, in the Knickerbocker Hotel, uh, where there was a... a, I love murders. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Right. That's not disturbing (laughs) at all. Um, So there was a... Well, you know, you got to have death to have ghost stories, right? And I love ghost stories. Everybody's got to have a passion. What are you going to do? So there was a cleaning lady... Um, in the 70s who uh, worked at uh, the Knickerbocker and uh, she was she was found uh, strangled with a, with a vacuum cleaner cord uh, in the closet of um, one of the residents uh, one of the residents rooms so the Knickerbocker um, it is a hotel but it's also um, even today a residence uh, like John one of my favorite mm-hmm. guys John McGivern lives there and uh, but you can also um, as a guest you can stay in I, I don't know if I could I'd love to stay in John McGivern's apartment uh, someday. But you get to stay in people's apartments uh, if, if you stay at the hotel, if they don't happen to be uh, there for that stretch of time. So that's how that works. That's my understanding. But uh, so there were there Can were you, people. Like, wear their clothes and stuff? Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, you don't know how that works. That's right. Do I get to go through, yeah. like, John McGivern's closets? Ooh, that yeah, would be well, fabulous. Well, um, I would love that. Gonna lock them. <laughs> but but anyway, um, so so 
there was a resident there, so not a guest, but a resident uh, who actually moved apartments, and uh, he he actually um, he actually had a a, a handicap in, in one of his arms as well, um, hmm. but. Uh, I think he had both of them, but that he was handicapped in one, and um, he uh, he was accused of strangling uh, this cleaning lady um, because um, he he had moved apartments and she was found in um, his old apartment. He had just moved and. She was found in the closet, strangled with the vacuum cleaner cord, and there seemed to be other evidence as well. But um, for some reason, um, you know, they couldn't make it stick, and he was exonerated. So I think the ghost story might have more to do with with the murder. You know, certainly, uh, you know, footsteps are heard. You know, I I haven't heard of any apparitions, but you know, people are talk a lot about. Um, you know, doors opening and closing, and and things of that nature. Uh, but I don't, I don't know if any um, apparitions have been spotted. But uh, again, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, Allison, there's apparitions all over that place. Well, please do give me a call and let me know. So nobody's seen a vengeful cleaning lady, no. or like coming at them with <laughs> no, that vacuum but, cleaner. But I mean, that that's um. That's a, a story that you, you would think could result to a ghost. Um, I know also um, this um, is on Prospect, actually, but uh, the Shorecrest Hotel, mm-hmm. um, that was uh, Balistrieri's hangout, right? Yep. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, so what was that restaurant called in there? It was Okay, so <laughs> the restaurant's gone through a number of names, but I presume the one you're referring to is Snugs. Yeah, Snugs. I mean, that's a restaurant name that for some reason just just uh seems mobbed up to me. Snugs. So Snugs restaurant. Yeah. So um so in there in a booth or a table, Balistrieri, that's where he conducts his business. And and his yes. son like operates the restaurant, if I'm correct. Yes. 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 So Let's get a little history. You know your stuff. (laughs) Let's get a little history of the Balistrieri family. Yes. Because that was, I mean, I grew up in one of my, um, uh, one of my teachers or like, like confirmation or communion teachers or whatever. uh, She was a Balistrieri. And like one of the other kids was like, my mom says she's related to the mafia. Yeah. But there's there's different spellings of the name. Piss her off. And and that's a little curious to me that there's. such similar names, but there's like one eye difference or something like that. Yeah, well, pretty I much, mean, people yeah. could. I mean, pe- there was in, in our own name, our own family name, Allison Huberty. Um, there's different. There's Huberty with an I. There's Huberty with a Y. It kind of depends on in the Ellis Island spelling or whatever, or it may depend on uh, people who are moving from not being literate to literate, finally spelling the name and spelling it in English. But I'm interested in the Balistrieri family. Um, can you give us a little bit on that, uh, the fa- the allegedly m- mobbed up family in Milwaukee, Kevin? Do you, do you want the one that is or the one that's allegedly? Um, <laughs> well, I, maybe I we, we talk about both is. because I don't really, you know, like, like Mike was saying, a lot of times there are variations on spellings. But right. that doesn't mean that you're not related. Right. So let me let me get rid of that uh, right off the bat. Uh, so uh, as, as you mentioned, there is a whole other branch of the family with a slight spelling difference. Um, and 
some of the people in that other branch, like there's a, a well-known pizza place in Milwaukee. Actually, I think there's a couple pizza places in Milwaukee. Um, and there's another of that same branch that owns the Sendix chain of grocery stores. Um, that completely different, completely different family. Okay. Now, if so you, when you buy your groceries at Sendex, you're not like giving them blood money. Not at all. <laughs> okay. Not at okay. all. If you if Fair. you go back, you know, five six generations. Um, yes, it is the same family, but I mean, it's so far removed that yeah, it's not even. It's it would be unfair to to, to lump them in there. Uh, okay. Now the Ballastry family that most people are familiar with, uh, they have uh, strong mob ties going back to the beginning. But coming over to here, uh, you know, to Wisconsin, possibly in Sicily, I don't really know. Um, we don't have good records on that. But originally, there was a company called Ballastry Brothers, which was Joe Ballastry Senior. This would be Frank Ballastry's father. And his brother, uh, I'm going to get confused. This is the problem. Sometimes it gets confusing without my notes because everybody's name is Joe, Peter, and Frank. Um, okay. There's like there's like half a dozen Joe, Peter, and Frank Balistrieri's. But I know the father's name is Joe. I think the brother's name was Frank. And they owned a trash hauling business. And they ended up getting uh, quite a bit of money off of that, especially during World War II, because... During World War II, there was gas rationing, so they brought the they brought the Balistrieri brothers out with their like horse carts to come pick up the trash rather than hire the trucks. So they ended up making a good deal of money off of that. But we also know they were already involved in the in the bootlegging. Uh, one of the brothers was suspected of murder uh, at one point, so I, they're already all the way back. It's questionable. And then uh, Joe son frank well two sons i mean frank and then frank's brother peter they're the ones that most people know because frank was a big deal for 30 plus years in milwaukee i mean he was in the paper constantly for um alleged crimes tax evasion las vegas skimming um uh telling other people to commit murder, not himself. We don't know of him personally committing murder, but him telling other people to commit murder. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, we don't even have to say allegedly when we're talking about Frank. I mean, it's it's so well documented that uh, if, if you can name it, he's somehow involved. And Frank was actually known as the Mad Bomber, wasn't he? Well, that's hard to say. That's that name has been stuck to him now. I don't know where that came from because I don't see that anywhere in the newspaper or the FBI records of the time. So I feel like that got stuck later on. But that is a name that goes around, yeah. Um for, for good reason. Is that related to that bombing from the 1960s you mentioned earlier? Um uh, actually it's presumably- uh, from Oh yes, yeah, 1970. Yes. They're, they're, oh no no oh you're you're talking to, you're talking about the uh, bakery on Brady. He's talking about the bakery. Yeah, right. well, there's there is that, but yeah, also um, yeah, 1970s that would be the murder of uh, Augie Pomizano, um, which I I think is probably the worst, at least in the modern history. Yeah, let's because... talk about that one. Definitely, go ahead. Sure. Sorry. So Augie Pamazano sounds like a Sopranos character. Yeah, well, this I, is a story a from name. this is a story from the Third Ward tour, actually. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so so go ahead and please tell the history on it because uh, you know there there's a lot um, there's a lot to tell with this. One. Yeah, yeah. So Palmisano um, was uh, deep into gambling. Uh, he was he was a big gambler, both on the he would personally gamble and the he would take bets angle, so both both ends of it. Um, and we don't know exactly what caused him to get marked for death. It could have been a gambling debt. Um, the 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 story that goes around is basically just he badmouthed Frank Balistrieri to his face. That's sort of like the 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 story. But anyway. Uh, one morning he goes out to start his car, and he lives in the Juno Village Apartments. Yeah, so another so, story from Juno um, that that I'm working on. Yeah, so he goes down, and it's it's an enclosed garage, like in the basement of the apartments. He goes to start his car, and somebody had put a car bomb in there, so his his car blows up um, and ends up damaging another like fifteen or twenty cars in the lot, and. I consider that to be, like I said, the worst in the modern history of the Milwaukee mob because it, it's one thing to take out another mobster. I mean, that's bad enough. But you don't know who's going to be in that room when that goes off. If there's if there's some parent taking their kid to school that morning, I mean, they, they could have been taken out. We were very right, fortunate. They could have been obliterated. Yeah, we were fortunate that nobody else was close enough that they got hurt. So it was just car damage. But... I mean, there's no way to predict that. So that was that was a pretty bold move. Yeah, because that was in the underground parking, right? For for yeah, village yeah. apartments. Yeah, yeah. and that, like people felt it in the building. You know, the building. Oh, I have no doubt of that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, so August Palmazano, he was likely on the way to the third ward because he owned mm-hmm. uh, he owned Palmies uh, on Broadway yep. there, uh, which is um, just on the the corner of Broadway and St. Paul. Today it's it's Cafe Benelux, and so uh, he was likely uh, on his way there to report to work. And I mean, some people say that he just keeps coming back. I mean, these are the ghost stories. <laughs> Uh, that you hear from. So, what do they see in Cafe Benelux? Because Cafe Benelux is where we had my brunch the day after my wedding, and I didn't see any ghosts, unfortunately, but I was too hungover to see anything. <laughs> right. Well, um, before it became Cafe Benelux, it was um, also a lot of other different businesses. Uh, be- Pre construction, um, there was actually uh, somebody, one of the big wigs from the Third Ward Association, was was just in there making sure everything was ready for um, the reconstruction and renovation of the building. Because uh, they most recently, uh, before Cafe Benelux, it was a Good Harvest Market. So uh, he was just doing a pre-check. He went in the building, and he's in the basement, and he very, very clearly hears... Uh, boots walking the floor above him and so he's shocked because he's the only one with the key at that time and he was very sure of what he heard and he ran upstairs uh and of course nobody was there and then uh, when they were setting up for good harvest market uh they had a lot of weird problems uh the uh, employees there felt as if they were being watched, which can be just a psychological thing, of course. But um, one thing that was a persistent problem is as they were setting up the store, you know, getting all the stock ready and shelved, 
the lights kept going out. So, and this happened repeatedly so often that the employees uh, just had to settle for carrying a flashlight around with them so they could get their work done. And of course, they called an electrician. They couldn't find any problems. But then um, this this happened for two weeks until the opening of the store, and then the the problem ceased. But you know, certainly uh, people have heard things and felt things. Um, I I did have a medium with me at one point uh, during a you know one one of the tours in um, the early days, and one of the things I'll remember is that. She she did say that there was a man standing around in the building. Um, one of the things I'd still like to do is um, is present different photos to her and see if she could identify, um, you know, who who it was. But you know, she described him as a, a thin man in like a um, mm-hmm. a white like undershirt and um, and with dark hair. And that was interesting to me because that was before I, I even knew about the August Palmazano story. It was just I knew about the haunting and then the the August Palmazano story, which I believe uh, he was killed June twenty eighth, nineteen seventy. Does that sound right, Gavin? I'm not looking at my script right I, now. I couldn't I couldn't tell you the exact date, yeah. but the it was it was in uh, seventy eight. Oh, 78. Okay, that's right. Wow, so that's when um, I was alive. That yeah. blows my mind that yes. people were still so, bombing each other. While I, I got alive. it now. It was yeah. June 30th, 1978. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you for helping me with my brain. It, I am not looking <laughs> at my notes, but um, I knew we'd get it. We, we'd hit it on the head if we worked on it together. So sure. that's, you know, that's 1978. That's not that long ago. Yeah. And like that's during summer, like Summerfest is happening at that time. Yeah. And he's blowing up the streets. Like that's not even, I mean, when you think about where the uh, the Juno Village apartments are, um, there's a lot of people downtown, especially in the summertime in Milwaukee. And the idea that they would do a car bomb at that point. Now, was Augie Parmesano, when I think of that name, probably because it sounds a lot like his last name is Parmesano or whatever. Like I think of a fat guy. Um, no, he wasn't. No, not he at all. cheese. Yeah. So, but but the idea that okay, he was a skinny guy, and yeah. of course he's got to be wearing a wife beater t-shirt. Like <laughs> you think about that guy, hey man, um, my name is Augie Pamazano. Uh, right. Like that totally, like it, it totally fits. So your psychic friend, maybe I shouldn't have made fun of her right there. Well, I still yeah, do. I don't know. I mean, and, and this can all be confabulation, of course. I'm not. I, I I'm. I'm just piecing things together over time, but it was just an interesting story that, um, you know, she tells me about him and describes him. And then later on, like years later, I'm like, oh, <laughs> look at this this murder, which is connected because it didn't happen there. But, you know, if right. we do believe in ghosts, then it's, you know, if you if you are entertaining the possibility of ghosts, then it's not a reach to say that, oh, somebody's on their way to work, they get blown up just all of a sudden, maybe they don't know they're dead. I mean, we're going back to the six sons here, right? But maybe they don't know they're dead, and they just keep going back to the places that where they went in life. So um, that's mm-hmm. why I connect the murder uh, to the haunting. Sure, and Augie goes back to work. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Kind of thing. So, I mean, but I mean, that's a good example of a mob hit 
that resulted in uh, a ghost story. Um, I wonder if there's any other particular uh, mafia-related stories uh, from the Milwaukee area that might have a ghost story related to them. Well, we're still working on the ghost story angle, but there are some really dramatic uh Dramatic murders, um, and and uh, there is a ghost story uh, about the the Shorecrest Hotel where um, Frank Balistrieri did his business, uh, but it doesn't. I don't know what it's connected to. I I I've just heard rumors over the years, and it's been in the Milwaukee Journal repeatedly that uh, they had a, a big piano, grand piano there in the hotel. And that people would report that sometimes during the night it would play by itself. So, I mean, that's all I've heard of the short crust. But, I mean, when when you find out that, hey, there's like the head of the Milwaukee Mafia doing business in the in the restaurant there, you know, it, it kind of confers this idea that there might be more of a story there, ghostly or otherwise, it's going to be interesting. Well, maybe we should get now. We we already had one of uh, Frank Balistrieri's, you know, sp- alleged crimes. Maybe we should talk about some of his other greatest hits. <laughs> yeah, do we know of any other um, hits that were attributed to Balistrieri? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I'm probably going to miss some thinking thinking this. <laughs> there's just so many. <laughs> That's okay, if there's, no, there's not so many, no, there's not. It's not, it's not, I mean, on the, in, the grand scheme of, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, Milwaukee is still a smaller town, but, uh, uh, so, okay. So, uh, going back to, we'll start around 1960, 1960, we've got, um, Izzy Pograb. That one, I cannot say for sure. Um, that one is, is iffy. But that's because a great have, story. Let's not pass over it. <laughs> sure, I have, I have, I have a whole other theory on 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 what happened to him. But but so but but Izzy um, Isidore Pograb, he was again a very very large man, um, three fifty four hundred pounds easily. I mean, this guy is huge. Yeah, we're still uh, talking about Milwaukee here. Yes. in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, he, uh, and he you know, owned- that's what I mean. Like, I know a lot of large people from Milwaukee. That's all. <laughs> Well, that's sure, true. Sure. Um, you know, there's a lot of cheese. Just saying. Um, but uh, so, he, was his club uh, the Brass Rail? Am I getting that right? You're right. You're okay. right. So we only see you don't, need, night- you don't even need me. No, you got no, this. I do need you. I have just little snippets here and there. But you can tell that I read your stuff because as you talk, I'm like, oh yeah, hey, there's this. They've got got to talk about Ohura. There's there's all this stuff. So yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Tell us all about um, Isidore. Okay. So yeah, so he's got the brass rail, which was on North Third Street, um, and originally it was a jazz club. For many many years, it was a jazz club, and if you go back and you look in the old, you know, journals, Sentinels, whatever, um, I mean, all the big names. If if you know any names from jazz, they they were there. They went through there, um, but at one point he figured out that he could get just as many customers buying drinks. And pay far less in entertainment if you switch from being a jazz club to a strip club. So instead of having to pay, you know, whatever it is, $1,000 a night or whatever for to have a jazz band there, he's like, well, I can just pay the dancers and they make their own money. There you so, go. so he switched over. But this, of course, brings in far more questionable uh, people. 
and the people who bring in the the dancers a lot of these dancers have a side hustle uh, I won't say what it is, but I think it's it's fairly obvious what some strippers do on the side for money. I love he called us he called a side hustle. Yeah, it's like oh yeah, no he 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 does graphic design on the side. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love yeah. that. We're we're gonna use that side hustle forever yeah, more. Side hustle. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so that's going through there too, and it's not like he doesn't know it or anything. Uh, so it's it's getting him into into some trouble with some people who you know. Uh, kind of kind of oversee that that type of business oh i see so he's cutting in on their profits because his dancers have that side hustle and and it's not sanctioned uh by the surrounding mafia who you know have an interest in prostitution in the city right and it's also probably really successful too because because it's a strip club or whatever it's like try before you buy (laughs) Like, right. So you see what the girls look like when you're in there, and then you're like, "Oh, well, I'll take that one." Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, so that's a great idea. So yeah, there's it's that like lobsters um, in the tank. I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's there's stories that he that he got a a load of whiskey, like stolen, hijacked whiskey that he didn't pay for, so he owed them for that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of theories, but whatever the case may be, one night he closes up shop. Um, he walks over to get a cup of coffee. You know, it's like two in the morning, whatever. He's going to get a cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, as as the mob does, they they push him into the backseat of a car and drive him off. And uh, they actually drive him all the way out to Mequon, which is quite a distance. I mean, not really, but relatively. And they they shoot him and they dump him into a, a, basically a creek, I guess, right out into rural Mequon. Which I don't think this was their intention, but it did a really good job of like hindering the investigation because the Mequon Police Department didn't really have the, I don't know, capabilities or whatever that, you know, Milwaukee would have had. So that investigation didn't didn't really go very far. So, oh, sure. Yeah, because they were in that jurisdiction. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe they yeah. did kind of intend that, you know, throw him yeah. in an out of the way place. And it it it's in another jurisdiction that's not familiar with dealing with murders. Hmm. Indeed. Right. Right. Pro tip. Pro tip, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think I mean Mequon now is kind of a bigger deal, but um, but yeah, like in 1960, it was it was a rural community. So, I mean, that's I think most of the officers were like part time. I mean, it wasn't even like they had a real force to deal with that type of thing. So, yeah. You know, they didn't they didn't know the main characters in this this kind of life, so absolutely. And um so he's found and you know, was was anyone ever apprehended for for his murder? Nope. No. So it's just <laughs> no. it made big headlines though. And I mean this was at a time when reading newspapers it's like reading like some kind of pulp novel, you know, just the descriptions um, in uh, the stories specifically about Pogrub. Uh, I mean, it was it was just like. So what year did this take place? Uh, this is 1960. 1960. That's right. So yeah. I was just really surprised, you know, reading the paper, how pulpy it was and how sensationalist, oh, sure. you know, uh 
at that time. And uh, we'll get to talk about Ohura as well. Okay. Uh, yeah, so t- tell us about Michelle Nichols. You, you really like that story. I do. Well, I, I am a big Star Trek geek, so of course. Sure. Okay. I love Ohura. So this story, so <laughs> the Michelle Nichols story, that actually comes from her autobiography. Um, so, so she wrote about that, and she was um, a dancer, not a stripper, but a dancer um, in the downtown nightclubs in Milwaukee. Um, she was doing something they called B-Girls. And I don't know exactly what B-Girls means, but it's, but it's, this, it's this scam that girls run where they get gentlemen to buy them drinks, but the bartender's in on the deal. So like they don't really feed them drinks. They feed them like apple juice or ginger ale or something. So the bars, the bars getting like four or five dollars a drink for like what should be like a dollar drink. Oh wow! So you know, so it's it's a scam that they used to run, and you know, getting getting girls to chat up the customers. Yeah. So Mike, back in the old days, me being a teetotaler, I would have been a perfect B girl. I don't want to drink. I want to just have water or juice. So, I mean, that would be a perfect scam for me. Right. So the bartender keeps half of it and you keep the other half. Yeah. Um, and that's how, you know, but it's funny that Nichelle Nichols danced in Milwaukee because you don't really, I mean, by the time you get to Star Trek V, when Nichelle Nichols does that like weird strip tease on the alien planet, uh, when they have in the beginning of the movie, they capture uh, like these rebels capture a bunch of um, Federation bigwigs or whatever, and then they send the Enterprise in there, and then they have to create a distraction. And Nichelle Nichols has this whole scene where she's scantily clad um, with like these big feathers and things like that. So I think if you guys remember Star Trek Five, um, that her dance at the beginning of that film probably was something that she remembered doing in Milwaukee in the 1960s. So I love that idea that she honed, she honed her sexy dance craft uh, right in our hometown. That's right. And Mike, I should say that you have ousted me. You are now the king geek because I love, I love Michelle, (laughs) but you actually made a connection to a deep cut of something that happened in a movie with the history, well, I, so this makes you I was kinky. twelve years, I was twelve years old when Star Trek Five came out. So, so when I saw Uhura do a sexy dance, it was, Im, <laughs> you know, it was imprinted on my memory forever. <laughs> okay, well, I have I have to jump in because this this isn't even the best part of the story. <laughs> All right, sorry, <laughs> I get distracted. No, that's okay. The best part of the story, at least for me, is she according again according to her autobiography, she has. The the owner of the club's attorney is, is is just fixated on her, so he starts buying her jewelry and furs and is trying to get her to go on dates, and she keeps turning him down. And even though she doesn't ever use a name in her book, the way she writes it is so obvious to me who she's writing about. And the the attorney she's writing about is Dominic Frenzy. And I love that because Dominic Frenzy is like the big mob attorney in Milwaukee. Um, he ends up going on, uh, gets gets famous because his office gets bugged by the FBI, which is a huge legal violation. Um, he ends up running for governor at one point, which backfires tremendously because 
can't be the lawyer for the mafia and run for governor. Yeah, and, I mean, that really opens you up to all kinds of scrutiny. That's what you don't want. And and he's such a cool character because even before he got involved with the mob, like his first major case was um, Ed Gein, of all things. <gasps> so so I was like, this is this is so cool that like that her story is about this guy. And she never says his name. But like I said, if you know it, like you it'll be really obvious. And I was like, wow, like that's that's the cool connection right there. So Nichelle Nichols stalker or whatever was ed gein's defense attorney correct yes (laughs) oh my god that uh it's just when you look in the history uh it's amazing kids the library that's the real dangerous place (laughs) right but um is there anything specific so i mean he like was his was izzy's club or whatever um any ghost stories there or anything that people have seen in the places that uh, that maybe have replaced it? Because it's probably not a strip club anymore, right? Yeah, n- not that I'm aware. Um, but I wanted to ask um, I wanted to ask uh, you, Gavin, about uh, you mentioned Mequon in there, and mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a place on County Line Road um, in Mequon, and it's a place where I've had one of my my own. Uh, ghost experiences and and I gotta share with you, Gavin, that I just love the paranormal and the supernatural. So I'm just kind of um, uh, fixated on it, I guess you would say, mm-hmm. because I um, I know that to experience the paranormal, um, it's it's very subtle and it doesn't happen all the time. And I mean, it hardly ever happens. So uh, what you have to do to increase your chances is you have to do everything haunted. So, I mean, I like hang, you know, I I hang out at haunted restaurants, haunted grocery stores, just anywhere haunted, uh, haunted attractions. When I go to other uh, haunted restaurants, of course, as I said, um, and uh, when I go anywhere else, I go to haunted hotels and that's where I stay. So um, I've had one of my my few uh, ghost experiences at a place on County Line Road. It was an old farmhouse. And um, it was a, a very fancy restaurant for a while called Club Forest. Um, but before that, it it does seem that it um, it's one of those few places that, that may have actually been a brothel because um, there's all these little rooms, um, you know, throughout the restaurant. And it's it's not like, you know, so many restaurants are just big rooms. It's like... No, there's all these little secret places up the stairs, um, you know, these little rooms which could very easily have, you know, in uh, the past uh, been constructed been for prostitution. Been used prostit- for sex. Yeah, been constructed <laughs> for prostitution. So um, it was rumored to have been um, to have been one of the places that Al Capone frequented. Um, I'm not sure about that, but... Uh, it, it could very well have had a mafia history if it was a brothel. Um, and so there's lots of stories about what may have happened there, um, that the, the madam was killed and, uh, you know, buried in the basement. Um, so, I mean, that's a possibility. Or it may not be the madam. It may be somebody who, um, who actually injured the madam and then some people took uh, retribution on him and buried him in the basement. Um, there's there's little documentation 
uh, of this, of course. Um, as you know, I mean, and I need to talk to you about this before we, we get off the, the call here. Um, there, there's there's a few like police records available, at least in, in Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to, you know, track those things down. But but I do know um, there's there's stories going back in this place, which was a club forest, then became a Mexican restaurant called Blue Agave. And then it was a catering business for a while. And now, and you know, after a decade, I'm starting to see that someone has purchased the building um, and they're slowly renovating it. But I don't know um, what they're, what they're going to do with it. It may even turn into a private home, but this is one of the few places where, um, I, uh, experienced something because, uh, I was going there to talk to somebody about the ghost stories, had a great dinner and then went to the bar afterward with the express purpose of talking to the bartender. Cause those are the people that hang on to a lot of these stories. Mm-hmm. And so as I was talking to him about, um, about the you know latest ghost news, uh, I had seen across the bar that there was this tray of drinking glasses that was up on this high level surface, and so as I was talking to him, at one point it lifted off and actually made an arc and crashed into the middle of the floor. Now, this is back in two thousand, so I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have anything to document what happened, and I didn't. I didn't see it happen because I'm making eye contact with the bartender. So, um, but I had seen it there previously and then I saw where it landed. So I I know that it landed in the middle of the floor. I mean, it just didn't go travel to the edge and then fall straight down. So what I I always tell people um, is I wish I would have had just a measuring tape with me. and I carry one with me everywhere now. But I mean, even though that was so many years ago, and it's never happened again. Were you talking again. about a particular story when it happened? Like, were you talking about something in particular? Mm, not that I can recall. We were just uh, talking about, you know, hey, uh, what are the l- l- latest ghost stories here? And, you know, there's stories there of apparitions. Like, people have been in the basement and seen and seen a guy in a really nice suit um, with cufflinks. Uh, you know, and there's these details because you don't necessarily see the face, but you see, you know, the arm with the cuff link or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so you get the impression of the, the person um, without maybe seeing the, the whole of it. Um, but uh, there had been many stories uh, from the basement and from other areas, but I was just shocked to be in the bar room when this happened and everybody around just got really freaked out because nobody was near it except for one employee who was just getting off work. He had just come to the other side of the bar. He was just standing there. And so it just flew essentially over his head. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he was quite shocked because of his proximity. But nobody was touching it. Um, And it crashed into the middle of the floor. And so now I carry that um, measuring tape because I thought what I if I would have had the forethought to do that, I could have measured like where um, where the uh, tray originated and where it ended up and been able to have somebody help me with the math to calculate the force it would have required to, to end up there. Um, but so that's one of my very few ghost experiences in over 20 years of investigating. So I wondered, uh, Gavin, if, if there's other, any other stories of Mequon or a long county line road that, that you are familiar with. 
No. No, no. So, so it's just has <laughs> a big build up there. So so yeah. it's just just um just a pogrom murder that he was dumped off there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean there it's it's possible, but I mean off offhand, no, nothing comes to mind. Yeah. So uh, cuz this would be a very dis- uh, um, easily distinguished place because it's an old farmhouse and it still has an attached uh, an attached silo, so uh, you know it strikes a you know very distinguishable figure. Um, but yeah, so I I'm always interested in you know how I can do some more uh, research, and I know mm-hmm. you know that maybe we could talk about some of your sources. I know that you've probably used Mm -hmm. FBI documents, but you know, what are some pointers, some pro tips that you could give me or, or other people who are interested in um, uh, looking into the history of different places, haunted or not? Okay. Hmm. Well, so for what I do, uh, I would say, well over half of what I do comes directly out of FBI documents. Um, I supplement that with newspaper reports and genealogical information. Um, to a lesser extent, police reports. Um, you had kind of sort of hinted at the, the trouble of finding police reports, and you're exactly right. Um, the, the general rule is that the police departments will hang on to homicide cases, but just about any other crime, I mean, after 10, 15, 20 years, a lot of that stuff gets tossed. Yeah. So for the for the older stuff, it, they just don't have it on record. They don't have, you know, the space to hold on to that stuff indefinitely. And I'm I'm uh, so disappointed by that because um, as Mike and I have talked about a lot, you know, when paranormal things happen, people mm-hmm. call the cops. I mean, if it really happened, if, if they're not just making up a story, they call the cops because they're really afraid. They think someone's going to yeah. get hurt. They don't know what it is. They just need help. And certainly, even going way back, um, you know, into the 1900s, 1800s, there are stories where um, people had something paranormal happening in their house or in their neighborhood, and they called the cops. And the reason I know that is because of these archival newspaper reports. But wouldn't mm-hmm. it be great to be able to to get a hold of those police reports? But I haven't been able to find a source uh, because I've been told that Harold Breyer just like dumped all the historic reports <laughs> in the 70s. Harold Breyer. So yeah. many reasons to be upset with him. But um, and that's that's one of them. Uh you know, I'm just hoping that one day, like somebody on eBay or one of these um, antique houses or something, will will reveal that they have a collection that they've kept in their family or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Well, well, how do you get FBI documents? Do you just like call, you know, just Google J Edgar Hoover, or like who do you <laughs> like who do you call at the FBI if you're saying like I'm looking for anything related to mafia in Wisconsin or FBI investigations of organized crime in Wisconsin, and do they send you to some archivist or whatever? Uh, it's actually probably easier than that. So it, it used to be that there was an email address um, that you would just send a request to. And then I, I don't know if they got bombarded or what, but they got rid of the email address. You can't contact them through that anymore. Now there's a form you have to fill out, but it's still really simple. I mean, you just go on to the FBI website um, and, for those who don't know, I mean, this is called FOIA. It's the Freedom of Information Act. 
Yeah. Um, any any government document is a public document. So you, you go on there and you fill out the form, you say what you're looking for, and then they'll, uh, sometimes it takes a long time, but they'll send it to you. And uh, it's really cool because if you are a new requester, the first thing you request, they'll give it to you for free. Um, if you're a regular requester, then they start charging you $15. But that's still pretty dang cheap for what you get. Because sometimes you'll get, you know, 500 pages. So $15 isn't, isn't really much at all. Um, and if you're really, really bad, then you end up like me on a list that's called the Vexum Filer list. <laughs> and, and then... And then the Vexum? Uh, Vexum, yeah, Vexum filer list. There's like a top ten list of people that are really annoying with their requests. Uh, but although it sounds bad, it actually has its advantages because um, I do have a phone number of a person that, like, when you get on that list, they give you a phone number, and you can like actually talk to people directly at that point. So really? if you're persistent and annoying enough. They'll they'll actually let you talk to people directly, but yeah, it's at but but for the average person, I mean, yeah, it's it's really simple. You go to the website, or you can Google, you know, like FBI FOIA, and the form will come up. Um, the only this is the only thing that's very important is if you're looking for an individual, the individual has to be deceased. They will not give out their investigation file on somebody still living. Um, I presume because it would be embarrassing to the FBI knowing what they were doing Uh, because sometimes you find out that they were doing things that they probably shouldn't have been doing. Of course. But I mean, the wire, I mean, just what J. Edgar Hoover himself did was, I mean, those wiretaps and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, completely illegal. You know, I'd say for the last question here, um, I wanted to save this to see if we had a little time and just one of the, one of the reasons that I read your Milwaukee mafia book originally was because uh, Allison and my grandfather was arrested in the 1940s um, for running numbers. Okay. And so what he would do is um, they had to have these numbers and they would have special pockets in their coats. And like our aunt would have to sew their coats where they could like hide these numbers in there. And um, my mother has said that she said, I remember one time she said that her, her father was arrested and his picture was in the newspaper um, as part of a John Doe investigation. And she was wondering if I could find that newspaper for her. Mm-hmm. So I looked and looked and I wasn't able to find that because um, not all of the Milwaukee Journal and Sentinel stuff is online from that time. But there is a lot pertaining to a John Doe investigation in the nineteen, uh, like either the late nineteen forties or nineteen fifties. Sure. And so I was just wondering a little bit about the Polish mafia and the numbers because I know there's a lot in your book about the um, the the black uh, cr- criminal syndicates that were running uh, that were ran their own numbers kind of thing, and you talk about that a lot in the book. But I was interested: is there any kind of Polak mafia that you can tell us about in Milwaukee um, that may have ran the numbers or anything like that, or any particular John Doe investigations you remember when you were doing research? Sure. Uh, I mean, if 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 you want to get a hold of me after this, and we can try to, you know, you know, maybe, maybe if you give me some names and stuff, I can try to figure that out for you. But oh, um, wow, thank you. Sure, but uh, yeah, definitely. I'm uh, uh, I'm going to answer that in two parts. Uh, first of all. Yes, there was a major John Doe investigation into gambling in the 1940s. That's 
completely true. Um, it was primarily the Jewish community that was targeted at that point. Okay. But, but yes, I mean, there was a big, big investigation at that time. Uh, as, as you probably uh, recall from now, I have to be clear. There's there's two books I have called both called Milwaukee Mafia, which is terribly confusing and is not yeah. my fault. That is right. that's on the that's on the publisher. Yeah, but, and there's one that's a more of a pictorial from Arcadia, I think. Right. Correct. And then there's yep. the other one that that is you know like full fledged uh, R- right. book. <laughs> right. That's from Barricade. Yeah. Um, so in the in the full fledged one, it's a white covered book. Um, I mean, one of the one of the early murder stories involves like the grandson of the mob boss marrying into a Polish family. Uh-oh. Uh, and and one of the one they're at dinner, you know, playing cards one night, and he ends up getting shot through the window. Uh, oh. So I mean, this is this is not to say that you had to be connected to the mob to run numbers. I mean, everybody gambles. But but there was I mean if you were involved in the mob you could you could have Polish connections you wouldn't be a mob member because again there's those ethnic limitations of who can and can't be a member right but but there was some overlap because I mean again this is Milwaukee it's a relatively small town uh, and you know even even later when when Frank Bellstreet was in charge like. His, one of his biggest right hand men was was Frank Stallone, who was Polish. I mean, it's there's actually a, a fair number of Polish people who got mixed up in the mob because I mean, great, it's Milwaukee. I mean, it's yeah, and let's not forget our friend Max Adonis and Max Adonis. I mean, Polish. you, you, you <laughs> like can't just one ignore Polish the fact forces. That yeah, you can't ignore all the Polish and German people. I mean, there's you know that's they you're, like you're crime. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's an equal opportunity uh, practice, I guess. Yeah, everybody likes to, to uh, murder people. <laughs> yeah, so you know, so to so to actually be a member, you'd have to be Italian or Sicilian. But you know, but that's just a technicality. I mean, you could still you could still be a gambler. You could still be a pimp. You could be whatever. You just don't get to you'll get a badge. So. Sure, you could live your dream. You just weren't a made guy, right? Which I mean, what's the difference, really? <laughs> it's all semantics. Yeah, pretty much. So there was a major John Doe investigation in the 1940s. So okay, so yes. there is a chance that we can find out uh, to see if Allison and my grandfather uh, was on the cover of the newspaper for being picked up, and that I hope, um, I hope we can find that. But can you? Okay, the one that's going to really help our street cred. You know what I'm saying, yeah. Gavin? Yeah. Right, because yeah. when I when I formally declare myself a super criminal, right. um, I'm looking and forward then, to saying I come from a long line of connected men. And I'm not going to have people like threatening me in bars then, because I'd be like, "Do you know who I am?" Right? Like, yeah, yeah, you're no, going and, in the and, ditch. Yeah, pal. I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. The 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 1940s there was a big John Doe investigation, and they would get, and there were a lot of photos in the paper at the time. Um, but it was again. It was primarily like Russian Jews. It was like a guy named Joe Krasno. Um, it was a guy named Oscar Plotkin. Um, I don't recall offhand uh, any Polish names, but maybe I wouldn't even recognize it as a Polish name. So I don't know. Sure. I guess. I mean, Oscar Plotkin. He sounds like a guy. Like he sounds like Lenin's best friend. Sure. <laughs> he's like, oh, Oscar Plotkin. Obviously, he's the guy that uh, you know. He set up the the bread program in 1921 St. Petersburg. Right. Uh, he follows the party line. Vladivostok. 
Um, okay, so what? final question. Um, what's your favorite uh, Milwaukee ghost story, Gavin? Is there a anything Milwaukee ghost story out? or a mafia story? Okay, I was saying I don't I don't have a favorite ghost story because I actually don't really know much about the ghost angle, so I, w- I wouldn't be much help to you if I had to tell you my favorite ghost story. All right, but what's your favorite Milwaukee mafia story? <sighs> well, I don't know that I have an all time favorite, but because I mean like I'm always children. Pardon? They're like it's children. Like, like there's like something children. beautiful yeah. about every one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I'm I'm still like the research is always ongoing, and you know, and you. And when you get when you get latched onto something, you know that's going to be your favorite for a while. Um, so, so right now, what's really been consuming more of my focus than other things um, is a man named Louis Fazio. And Louis Fazio, um, I love this guy. I mean, not not in that way. I mean, a terrible person, but. But he he starts off. He's a, he's a petty burglar. He moves on into into pimping. He's he's involved in in bringing underage prostitutes all throughout the state. Um, so he's he's kind of known throughout the throughout Wisconsin, from all the way up to to Hurley, down through um, even northern Illinois. Um, he he moves on to to murder. <laughs> he serves a little time for murder. He gets back out. He's involved in gambling, and then eventually, in 1972, he himself gets killed. So, I I find him fascinating because he came from what's an otherwise good family. Like his family was a, a well-known restaurant-owning family. Um, I like to refer to him as the black sheep because the other Fazios were all successful, not really criminals. Um, and then there's this guy who's burglar, pimp, gambler, murderer. Uh, it, I don't know how that happens, but wasn't that uh, Laverne's last name too? <laughs> or no, didn't they have a friend named Mr. Fazio? Oh, from from Laverne, <laughs> from Laverne and Shirley? Shirley? Yeah. Probably, yeah. Probably. Awesome. But yeah, that's one I mean, I I'm trying to find out more and more because just like almost every murder in Milwaukee's mob history, it's unsolved. So it's nineteen seventy two, he's he's shot dead. And they don't even have a suspect, at least publicly. They've never announced a suspect. So uh, I would I would love to know more about that. So he's he's always in the back of my mind. So you're telling us there were a lot of murders that were unsolved. Ergo, we've got tons of murderers out there going unpunished. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is something I tell people when I when I give talks. I mean... Uh, in the grand scheme of things of how many murders there's been in Milwaukee's history, the mob murders are a relatively small percentage. I mean, we don't have just hundreds and hundreds of mob murders in Milwaukee. But if you were to take the percentage of unsolved murders, the the mob murders are a significant percentage. Because more often than not, it's a husband kills a wife or a wife kills a husband. And I mean, it's right. solved the next day. But the mob murders almost never get solved so so if you go to the list of the unsolved murders in milwaukee's history you find a lot of a lot of underworld connections there well the last place that fazio uh was was he was at the um iron horse bar mm-hmm. so uh we have the iron horse hotel in milwaukee it does have a couple of ghost stories doesn't it Allison? it does it does yes but the iron horse uh, bar where was that like the iron horse hotel is um 
is uh, in a, in the Menominee Valley, um, not far from Harley Davidson Museum, where I will be performing tonight if the snow lets up. But um, yeah, so the Iron Horse Bar, where was that located? I wonder, like, what part of the city? Yeah, I don't have an address on it. I just have like his his nephew was working at the Iron Horse Bar, um, and that was the last place uh, he came home, and then um, he was murdered. <laughs> So. Yeah, I, I couldn't give you an exact address, but most of these places are just like uh, around like the area of like between Wisconsin Avenue and like third, fourth, fifth street, um, just in that in that little neighborhood. That's you'll find so much overlap with all the nightclubs and the restaurants in that little area. So what ward is that? Uh, is that uh, so would that be like downtown or would that yeah, be I mean, that's like downtown. Walker's Point? No, that's Off not Walker's downtown? Point. That's downtown. No, no. So it would be like downtown proper. Yeah. Okay. So downtown was a place that if you were in trouble with the mob, don't go there. All right, hold on. I do. I think I found it here. The Iron Horse Restaurant. And Louis Fazio, he was a manager. It was 11th and Wells. Okay. okay. So downtown. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Um, all you know, All these places, all these popular... like. The mafia is so related to obviously nightclubs, places of entertainment, things like that, and because that's a great way to launder money, mm-hmm. because you can lie about how many people came to your bar that night, right. especially when you're dealing with cash. Um, I remember one time we played a show in uh, New York City in Manhattan at this Irish bar called Desmond's. I don't think it's around anymore. And the guys that were running the bar were all Irish guys, but the guys who were doing the sound and set up the show were all Russian guys. <laughs> and so um, we go set up in the back, and there's supposed to be a couple of local New York openers, and they didn't show up. It's a Saturday night, and the, op- the locals don't, sh- like the local bands don't show up. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. And the Russian guys are at the door like, no big deal, just play. I'm like, okay. And so um, we we ended up having, we ended up being a good crowd there um, because we knew some people coming out and we advertised and stuff. So it ended up being a good crowd. But um, the guys paid us way more than we usually would have been paid uh, for a show of that type or the number of people that paid at the door. And I'm like, what's going on here? Usually when a club owner or a booker sees not enough people or the locals cancel, they would be freaking out. And they're just like, no problem. Play play music. And they were friendly. It was fun. We played. They shut down everything. And then and they then paid they, you oh, handsomely. And they we were paid handsomely. And then I realized, like, wait. That was totally a mob front, obviously, because they could have said a thousand people came in the door, two hundred people came in the door, you know, and they can launder that money right through that club. And I was there, Nichelle Nichols. <laughs> That's right. You were just a, a, you were just a pawn, Mike. How does that feel? It, it, a, yeah, a highly paid pawn. You know what? That felt really good. 
So I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there, Stooley, or whatever. Um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us today, Gavin. Um, people want to check out your books and learn more. We're gonna have. To, I want to first of all, we're gonna have. Um, we're gonna have to do a follow up on this to talk more about Milwaukee Mafia and obviously more about Madison mm-hmm. because Madison does have a series of unsolved murders that are, you know, fascinating that people around Madison do not know about. Uh, that would probably scare the crap out of them if they did. Um, so we're going to have to talk more about that. But if people uh, want to get a jump on those episodes and then read your books, where can they find them and order them? Well, anywhere that books are sold, uh, which these days it's it's fewer and fewer places. But, uh, you know, B- Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, if you have a local favorite bookstore, if they don't have them in stock, ask and they can order them. So anywhere books are sold. And we'll definitely link in the show notes, right, Mike? Yeah. We'll have a link to your author page probably on Amazon at othersidepodcast.com slash 271, and you guys can check out criminal historian Gavin Schmidt's books for yourself. Gavin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. It was fascinating. Well, it certainly was a pleasure to talk to Gavin and learn from his knowledge of the Milwaukee Mafia and the history of organized crime in the Brew City. And, you know, one of my favorite things is that, uh, you know, we mentioned that Frank Balistrieri's nickname is the Mad Bomber, but everybody in his organization called him Mr. Big. Like, I thought that was just something out of, like, cheesy cartoons or silly, you know, mafia kind of shows. But no, they really did call him Mr. Big. Well, we couldn't uh, pass up, you know, putting that into a, a song. And also, I couldn't pass up using my sister's story uh, in the song, too, because uh, I love hearing that story from Allison about how when she's looking out for ghost stories in the old Italian neighborhood, the guy tells her, Allison, I like your smile, but snitches end up in ditches. And we used that for the inspiration for this week's song. Here's Sunspot with Snitches End Up in Ditches. Fortunes 
gambling. You can bet your life will kill you if you squeal. Mr. Big Man, how this happens, so you better not betray. Turn the keys to the ignition, and you might get blown away. You like the parties, ladies, and the things so nice. You had to know there was a price. for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Hey everybody, this is Wendy, and after that intense conversation about the Milwaukee Mafia, I'm just here to tell you thank you for listening, and thanks to all of our wonderful Patreon supporters for being part of the fun ride that is See You on the Other Side and Sunspot. We appreciate you so much. And an extra special shout out goes to our Patreon member, Dr. Ned, because he's pledging at a level that gets him this shout out. And Ned, you're truly wonderful. We appreciate all of your support. And I'm looking forward to our October hangout. What you say? It's not October. No, it's not. But Halloween's a busy time. So we usually push our October one into early November. So please keep an eye out for when that's happening. And if you aren't a member yet, it's not too late. You can always join at othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And you can even join the day of the hangout and still be part of our gathering of paranormal minds. I look forward to it every month. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week. Snitches end up in ditches.